Hey, Holmes, get down. Right on. Bitch, please. Oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Dig that. Oh, hell yeah. She's a bad man in town. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your ass. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As if you know me, and many of you do, you know that I still try to be an athlete. I run, and I play baseball in the summertime, and I even picked up bowling this past winter. Well, I guess it's time to talk to a sports performance expert, and we're going to do that here next on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. As I stated earlier, you know I'm a frustrated athlete, but I always love to learn more about getting uh, tips on how to get in better shape. But beyond that, I wanted to talk to somebody about uh, top-level athletes and below and how they get to uh, top performance and today I'm speaking with Eric Degatti. How you doing, Eric? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, JB. Not a problem. So I'm the first question I'm gonna lead off is is kind of a it's an open question and kind of a long question. But uh let's see. What is one of the common threads that drive most top flight athletes as they uh you know form their training? Uh, well, I always joke, first thing is picking the right parents. Good DNA certainly <laughs> helps. Um, that's what I've so, learned. <laughs> that certainly helps. But but the, the biggest thing is that they have, uh, and I found this in, in not just athletics and, and really all high performers that I've worked with from CEOs to you know successful business people to, to athletes as well, is they have a certain set of non-negotiable habits. And what I mean by that is that if they're going to do their skill work, whether it's a, a professional baseball pitcher that's going to get their throws in for that day or, their, or, or work on the mechanics, or if it's the, you know, CEO that makes sure that they're going to get in 
their, um, you know, their, their uh, morning cardio or um, whatever it may be, that there's certain things that really getting in shape is a habit. And I always tell my, my clients that, you know, this is an everyday decision. And it's a real easy decision to run away from. It's real easy oh, to hit yeah. snooze. It's, yes. it's real easy to just call DoorDash and, and not go ahead and make your own healthy food. It's it's very it's a it's a very easy decision to not make. And so to make that decision every day, you have to co- have a commitment that there's certain things that are part of my every day, and uh, and and the and the great ones are usually good at doing that. Well, Eric, I'm uh, I'm remiss that I did not give your uh, credits, and I'm going to do that right now. Eric is a fitness coach, trainer, and instructor with 20-plus years of experience. Also, he does client assessments, uh, performance enhancement, and injury prevention. Eric serves on the board for uh, Base University and also the Baseball Health Network. Eric has worked with Olympians, pro athletes, and those below that so that's why i should have started eric and i apologize well uh yeah there's there's an interesting thing in my field that you know i joke i have a son who's in college and he's studying in accounting and i said the one thing you won't have to have that i have to deal with is is you don't have to compete with uh accounting enthusiasts right right? like uh, like i have to compete with fitness enthusiasts people who have never trained anybody who are going out and giving training advice. <laughs> and so um, that's that's part of the world that I have to compete with, that I have to compete with the, the likes of, you know, whatever the Rock's daily workout is or right. Liver King or, or people like that that have never had any experience or learning specifically in, in training or improving performance, but yet that's who I have to compete against, unfortunately, sometimes. Well, uh, I'll give you a little bit of my background beyond being a frustrated athlete. I worked um, – major college sports as an equipment manager for uh, 40 years. So at, you know, at the uh, big 10 level at the university of Minnesota. So uh, I was a, um, all the way from a student manager to a full-time equipment manager. So um, I got to see athletes firsthand uh, be trained and become more, you know, more fit and more, you know, a better athlete and a better person. Well, let me ask you this. What, as a society, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong? Uh, well, I tell you what we're doing right is we're seeing uh, firsthand the magic that um, sports science can do when it's done right. And you're seeing the capabilities of the human body really uh, being expressed when you're seeing things that, uh, the level of play at all the major sports is so far and above what it was. So, you know, everybody likes to be the old timers. Oh, back in my day. Well, no, <laughs> right. back in your day, you didn't have, you know, um, guys playing right field who were six foot seven and 280 pounds hitting the ball 120 miles an hour. You just didn't. And so um, you have also people that are defying uh, the aging element, whether it's, you know, the Tom Brady's or, of the world or, or people who are playing and, and doing and thriving, whether it's at that level or even, it, you know, what I see with everyday folks that I'll see where I have clients who are in their 60s who are playing, you know, aggressive uh, and competitive tennis who are, who are uh, this morning. I have two clients who are in their 60s. One, he did um, – he plays competitive tennis, 
Um, the other, his wife is a uh, is a uh, second degree black belt in in uh, Taekwondo. Um, and so the old, you know, adage of, of, you know, once you get to 50, you're going to go in the rocking chair. That's kind of been, dis- that's kind of been, you know, poo-pooed by good, you know, uh, science and, and establishing good habits and the magic of, of what you can do with taking care of your body. So that's definitely what we're doing right. Um, what we're doing terribly wrong is youth sports. Um, and okay. so what's happening there is, 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 is kind of a travesty, mm-hmm. um, in, in what you're seeing there. And, um, I do my little part of trying to undo that. I actually volunteer my time because I love baseball and, and I volunteer my time. I actually tonight had to, had a, a game um, uh, with a, a middle school team, a junior high team that I coach mm-hmm. because what's happened in the, in the, you basically imagine a billion dollar industry with no oversight and no single controlling agent. Right. And that's what youth sports has become. And so it's, it's really become unfortunately a, cesspool of pipe dreams and cash grabs that they're that they're putting parents through and as somebody who has had uh two boys who went through the system playing you know a a lot of baseball as well you know what ends up happening is you you get sucked into this thing of thinking well if i don't play in the travel team then i'm not going to go and be able to to play on the next level and then once i get on the travel team they tell me if well i don't play spring summer and fall then i'm not gonna be invited back next time and now i gotta play spring summer and fall and i gotta give up my other sports and now i'm spending every weekend traveling to all these different tournaments and i'm driving three hours and booking hotel rooms to play a team that's 15 minutes away from me and i'm getting you know right. uh, i'm getting <laughs> promised i'm getting promised this 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 pot of gold at the end that i'm going to get college scholarships or i'm going to get all this exposure when it's really just a, it's a it's a um paper tiger that it's really it's not there it's, the reality is not there and and it's unfortunate that too many kids are giving too much of their youth to this and too much parent too many parents are getting sucked into the vortex of giving their money up money up and it's it's really a sad state of affairs that kids' childhoods are getting lost. And, and if, if, you know, I'm a, I'm a avid, you know, uh, book person, I'm a audible junkie. And so I always recommend lots of books when I, when I talk on things like this, or ever I speak publicly and, and a book that if you're a parent with kids and competitive sports, Michael Lewis, who wrote Moneyball, wrote a book called playing the win about the youth sports industrial complex. And if there's something we're doing wrong, that's it. That's the big thing that we're doing. Yeah, I got to see it from two spectrums. One was, as an equipment manager, the people who chase camps, they go from one camp to the next camp to the next camp to the next camp. And I've actually looked at parents and said, you know, if you just send your kid to you know one reliable camp and then put the rest of the money away, you'll have scholarship money. But, you know, if you're going to spend two grand on this camp and 1500 on that camp and 1300 on that camp, all you're doing is chasing a dream. And the, the other point part was how uh, sometimes college coaches can manipulate that system by saying, well, if you want to be, you know, if you want to be on that next level team, you need to come to my camp. Or if you want to become a college prospect, you need to come to my camp. And I just... Shake my shake my head at the fact that people are willing to throw thousands of dollars down that drain to uh, you know hopefully get their kids seen. 
Yeah, it is a it is a business first and foremost, and, and people need to understand that. And they also need to understand that there's far more dollars available to your son or daughter in academic money at the college level than there is in athletic money. Um, you know, I, again, being in baseball, they don't understand. There's 11 scholarships Correct. afforded to a divi- to a Division One roster that has 35 kids on it. And so, unless you're six five and you're throwing 95 miles an hour plus, you're not getting any of that money. And I, you know, I've trained guys who played in the world who have World Series rings who didn't get any scholarship money. So, um, you know, so you have to understand there's a there's a big pond out there. Uh, that you're competing against. And so that's, you know, that's, that's a, a, a thing that people need to understand from the business standpoint. Now, if we take a bigger step back, maybe from the macro level, you know, obviously what we're screwing up on a, on a bigger level is we have um, a huge issue where we have, we have people that are extremely on one end, like I said, with sports science that are extremely athletic and doing amazing things with the human body, but they are a rarity. They are freaks. That's why they get free school and they get, you know, uh, 50,000 people showing up to see them um, and, and buying their jerseys. But for every one of those, we have thousands of people that are insanely unhealthy right now. And so um, we've also, you know, we, we can't miss the elephant in the room that we are in a very, very unhealthy, unfit, uh, you know, society right now. And that's the, if there's something that we're really missing, that's the biggest thing we're missing. When you say unfit, and unhealthy. Uh, can you speak a little bit deeper about that? Yeah, I mean, when you look at some of the statistics, they are scary in that we may have a generation right now, maybe the first generation that doesn't outlive their parents. You may have you have uh, statistics that show by 2040 that more than half of the people may, may adults may be diabetic. We have we're on a fast track to being the majority of our society being obese. Um, and this is scary stuff, and, and, and the pandemic just really shined the light on it mm-hmm. in that you saw that the, the statistics of the, the people who were really getting sick were, were really just unfit and, and even more so just just sedentary people in that uh, we just don't move. We don't move at all. And what we, you know, and, and fortunately, out of all that, we got people that became even more sedentary that sit at a laptop at their workstation at the dining room table, and the only time they move is to get up for the door dash. And so... You know, that just is exponential in terms of what that causes and the trickle down. What we see now, I've done some projects with physical education at the youth level, and um, we do simple baseline fitness tests of kids, you know, being able, can you touch your toes? Can you right, rotate left to, le- uh, left to right? Can you squat down? These types of things. And, and a, a scary amount of kids have pain just doing those things. Right. Just doing the most fundamental, basic movements. And then when we look at, you know, that's just their movement competency. When we look at like their movement capacity, we would have um, I tell people this is what was really scary is that, you know, we were doing a test of just looking at grip strength because grip strength is a very cool um, window into a lot of things. Mm -hmm. If I if I have a a grip dynamometer and I test your your grip strength, it could at a very local level, it could test obviously you're not just the strength of your hand, but also could be a window uh, into what's happening in your uh, neck and shoulder that if there's a big drop off from one side to the other, almost every time I see somebody who has a neck or shoulder issue, but on a bigger issue, it's looking at your nervous system and how robust you are. Like there's even some strong uh, research data that shows that there's, there's a correlation between longevity and your grip strength, right? So uh, because it's an expression of kind of where you are physically. 
And so one of the ways we test that is just a basic straight arm hang, like grab a chin up bar and hang from the bar for as long as you can. And, you know, what we'd ideally like to see is you should be able to do that, hang, hang your body off a bar for about 60 seconds. Well, when I tell you we did this in a junior high uh, and did some testing this past year, and not only did we have an incredible amount of kids that couldn't hold it for five to 10 seconds, but we had kids who were coming back in and telling us and the phys ed teachers that the nurse has had people coming to the nurse saying their hands hurt from hanging on the bar. And, and I can tell you, I can tell you, JB, the kid who's going to the nurse that says his hands hurt or her hands hurt is not the one who hung on the bar for a minute and a half. Right. That's the one who hung for 10 seconds off a bar and now their hands hurt. Like that's a pretty far decline where we've come physically. Um, and, and that just trickles down to a lot of different things in society. So, well, Eric, I'm, uh, we'll be 60 years old in two weeks and, uh, I still run about, uh, eight plus miles a week and I'm, this might be the last year, but I still play 35 and older baseball. And um, I try to tell the guys I play, you know, you see guys pull hamstrings and and um, abdominal muscles and all type of things um, because they just show up and they basically throw the ball to each other and, and then they say that they're ready. Um, and unfortunately, that attitude has trickled down to our youth. Um, where has... When I was young, we used to have the president uh, physical fitness uh, program. Has that disappeared? And is there anything like that going on in this country? Uh, unfortunately, we just keep lowering the standards and everything, even into our U.S. military. They've lowered the standards of, of lots of different things. Like the standard firing position of a rifle used to be in a deep squat, but they had to change it to a, a, a half kneeling position down on your knee because nobody could get into a deep squat anymore. Um, and so uh, if, if you're ready for another book recommendation, there's, sure. there's a very cool story um, about uh, it is called uh, JFK's Secret Doctor. Okay. And it tells a story of that whole, uh, how that came about um, in that, you know, what happened was uh, the, the story talks about, um, you know, the, the, the physical therapist who worked with, who was a, who was a, a, a physiatrist actually, who worked with JFK with his back pain because he had debilitating back pain. Mm -hmm. From um, his time in the yeah, service. And, and so Hans Krauss was a, a guy who came here from Europe and became renowned as a guy who worked with back pain. And what he came up with was this series of basic fundamental movements and very similar to the test that I told you we put the, the middle school kids through. And what he would do is he'd put people through those movements and if he couldn't do it, he had a series of exercises that he would do. And him and another physical therapist, um, by the name of Weber, came up with the Krauss-Weber test. And, and, and then what they did is they did this in, in New York City, and they would they had huge success in, in getting people out of back pain by just giving them exercise, right? Not, uh, you know, not heating pads or any of the traditional stuff you see today. Well, anyway, um, what happened was is he started getting involved with with um, you know big name uh, people, and he got to he ended up working with a bunch of politicians, and he got to JFK, and JFK um, saw so much value in it. And as that was happening. He went and uh, hooked up with the guy who was in charge of the New York City, uh, New York City um, school system and said, I want to test some of your school kids. And a scary amount of the kids failed. 
And they said, well, there's something wrong with the test. This is not this is not accurate. So he said, OK, well, I'm going to go check. And he went to Europe and he tested their kids and the majority of them passed. So he basically came back and said, these government officials, look, if you don't start getting your kids fit, you're not going to have an army to fight for you eventually. And so that's where the presidential physical fitness test came from. Unfortunately, what happened is on the council, they they appointed Bud Grant as the head of it. Now, Bud Grant, as you you well know right. from where you've come from, yeah. he's, a, he's a football coach, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's how physical education, which if you go take physical education in other countries, it's, it's actual physical education. Right. It's, it's learning how to take care of your body. Well, physical education here became sports. And it was all sports driven and game driven. And that went away. And so we didn't do anything to about it. And now it's just progressed from there. And that's and what you're seeing today is what was something that that Hans Krauss knew in the 50s and 60s. And so this has been a long time coming. But unfortunately, we keep chasing after it with games and sports where games and sports don't get you in shape. Um, you get in shape to play games and sports. Right. Um, and, 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 and then on top of that, you have, you know, tying it all back in with the, the youth sports thing is that, you know, kids specialize now. And the only time they go out and play is, is, is really, they don't go out and play. They go out, they have a, a scheduled lesson. They have a scheduled camp or they have a scheduled thing with their travel team or something like that, where they, there is no free play. And they're also getting pushed into playing uh, one sport. And so they don't develop well-rounded athleticism. And then in, in phys ed class, it's become less competitive. And so they don't, they don't get to have a whole lot of, of physical freedom in there to build their competency and, and physical capacity. And so that's, that's how we get to that. Um, and so um, it, it's created a, a, a myriad of issues where the kids who are in the travel sports and into that whole thing, they're getting burned out. And then the right. kids who are not are getting ostracized that there is no such thing as the, the rec or the little league anymore, because I've coached at that level. And you have half the team is the kids who, who play, you know, a hundred games a year and have $300 bats. And then the other half of the team is the, the kids who, you know, have no idea how to play. There's no time for practices. You just play games. And so that kid for safety's sake, you have to put them in the outfield right. because you know, they're going to get killed by that. But the kid who plays a hundred games a year and has a $300 bat, he turns on a, a ball and this kid's in the infield. So now this poor kid's stuck in the outfield. We don't get time to practice because you're playing too many games and he'll get, a, if he does get a ball hit to him, he has no chance of, of catching it. And so, and then he's going to strike out three times because the rec coach is going to pitch the, 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 the travel player who's throwing 75 miles an hour. And so now the kid strikes out three times, makes an error and says, screw this. I'm, you know, I'm not playing right. anymore. And, and, and now he's going to go home and, and play Fortnite, mm-hmm. And, and then here we are with, with a very unhealthy society. For, for lots of reasons, but that's just one of them of how one leads to the other. Well, it was interesting that you brought up Bud Grant because when he coached the Vikings, he was always his teams were always the last one to report for uh, fall camp. And literally, I mean, they were anywhere from two weeks to three weeks behind the rest of the league. And I kn- and. With hearing that, I never understood how they made it to the Super Bowl four times, but somehow they did. Um, must have been, you know, just because of the athletes he had. Um, well, you're talking about a very, very, very different pro sports back then. You know, you're talking about, you know, days when, uh, 
you know, from the baseball side, you're talking about days when Yogi Berra sold suits in Newark in the off season. Right. Yeah. Could you imagine, you know, could you imagine uh, Mike Trout selling suits in, in downtown LA and in the off season? Like that's, but that's what, how different that world was. And that's how right. the, 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 the benefit of, of, of what they're doing throughout the season is, is what we're seeing and where we're seeing these amazing athletes doing amazing things. And you're seeing, you know, every team has a, 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 a 10 pitchers that throw 95 mile an hour plus you have every team has guys that can hit the ball a hundred mile an hour plus, but that's because they're not selling seats in the off season. Well, and another um, thing that you brought up was uh, the lack of cross training. And I've always preached this to, when I when I because uh, I coach uh, youth football, youth um, hockey, and youth even youth basketball and baseball, and I always told parents once that season was over, go to the next season, and they would look at me and like, what do you mean? It's like you know this is baseball season now, go to football season. You know, once that's over, go to hockey season or basketball season. Once that's over, come back to baseball season or run track or do, just keep doing something different. So you once so your child doesn't get burned out and bored. And two, um, just the fact that you're training different muscle groups and you, you know, you're making more different friends and all different type of things happen. Um, I don't know if you found any of that. Yeah. And the, and the other big thing is you get to be a kid, you know? And right. so I, I remember distinctly. Um, so the team I'm working with, they had the, you know, we had winter training sessions, you know, these indoor winter training sessions over the winter um, where they, you know, we'd have access to a batting cage and we'd have, you know, we'd have them just throw in a gym and do some stuff. And I remember one of the dads emailed me and this is how, unfortunately that, 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 that the parents have been kind of, you know, brainwashed is, you know, daddy's mailing me and he says, you know, Oh, you know, my son's, um, he's got his rec basketball playoffs. You know, he's only playing rec for fun. He's not taking it competitively. And, but, uh, he wants to, he, he has playoffs next week and which practice is more important because he's going to miss one to be to practice. And I said, I wrote back, I said, first of all, that's why you play is for fun. You don't need to justify it. Number right. one, you don't have to play everything to, 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 you know, to get a, a trophy. And I said, number two is no practice in, in January is important. Go play. And I don't want him anywhere near the baseball practice. I want him to go have fun and play basketball. And so unfortunately that's not the model in most pay for play type situations where it's, it's more so, you know, well, if you don't show up, well then I'm going to get the, you know, you're not going to make the, the team and then you're going to be on our B team. And if you make the B team and it's like this fear factor of, Oh my gosh, that that I'm born into one because because they're scared. You know, and the reason right. they're scared is because you know there's in the town where my facility is that I work at. If there's there was at one point twelve different baseball schools, and so the fear is okay. Well, if this kid leaves, I'm going to lose that check for a couple thousand dollars for right for the, for right. a couple seasons, and so it's a money driven thing. It's not mm -hmm. a, it's not for the best interest for the development of the player, unfortunately, in in most cases, and so. That's really what the driver is, unfortunately. It's not about, you know, really taking care of, of the athlete at the end of the day, which is unfortunate. Um, before we move off youth and, and move and more into adults, um, what are your thoughts of overtraining? 
Well, there's two sides of that coin. There is overtraining, and there are situations where, especially like with tournament basketball and, and well, tournament everything, but you know, um, where they're just getting too much volume. You know, where you're playing three, four games in a day, um, or you're playing hundred. You know, you're playing more game more games in a year than pros play, who are fully developed adults. That's that's a that is obviously an issue with overtraining. Um, and overplaying, but there's also an element of is of under preparation, and that you know, like we like in baseball as an example, you know, I keep going back to is we have pitch counts to try to limit injuries, and that was born out of a, a arm injury epidemic that just kept growing and growing and growing. And so what MLB said is we need to do something to to do this to not so parents aren't scared to sign up for kids for baseball. So they came up with something called pitch smart where they brought the team doctors, team physicians of a couple MLB teams together and said, how are we going to do this? And they said, well, we should probably limit how much kids can throw. And they kind of came up with some numbers and said, all right, well, if you're 12 years old, you can throw 85 pitches in a game. Well, there's to set that number. There's a big difference between 12 year olds. I can have yes. one kid that is, that is, you know, you, at 12 years old, you know, you can have some kids that have beards and you have other kids that, that are, you know, um, you know, still playing with Legos. You can have a big difference between a 12 year old. And so there's that. And then there's also the factor if you have kids that, you know, maybe work out with a trainer or they're, they're exercising all year round and they're they're building up their they're working with a pitching coach and they're building up their pitch count and they're throwing bullpens in the off season. So when that April, you know, uh, opening day comes around that they're they're pretty well suited to throw that pitch count. Whereas you have, may have another kid that, you know, hasn't picked up his glove since, uh, since last July. And all of a sudden he can't have that same pitch count as the first kid. No. And then, then you have the other kid who's, who plays spring, summer, fall plays on four different teams and has, and throws multiple games per week. That kid probably shouldn't be throwing at all. So now you have three different 12 year olds that all have the same pitch count, but unless you have, the education of the parent, the coach, the athlete to, to let them understand that that 85 is just, it just barely is barely a guardrail. It's, it's just something to kind of keep you in check. That is by no means an absolute to say, if you throw less than that, you'll be safe. And if you throw more than that, you'll be hurt. It, there's, it's, it's not that simple. Uh, now with the absence of things such as, and we've had, basically have had two generations gone through this now the the disappearance of recess and the uh disappearance of uh gym class um but then they decide in their 20s or older to decide to become an athlete how do what is the key to not killing yourself at that point or injuring yourself well, the first key is, is preparation. You know, like I said, you need to have certain physical qualities. So I have everything I do is based on a checklist, right? So if you, JB, if you came to my door tomorrow, I'm just going to go through the first day mm -hmm. is just checking boxes. It's checking right. boxes. Okay. First, I'm going to look at, can you move well? Can you touch your toes? Can you squat? Can you twist right to left? Can you extend? Can you lunge? Can you do these fundamental movement things? If you can't do that, we got to fix that first, right. because if we add a bunch of strength or speed or anything on top of that, then you're just getting good at really crappy movement. So the first thing you got to do is move well. Now, what unfortunately happens when you're bound to a desk and chair of all the years of school and then you go to work and you're bound even more to a desk and chair, 
that starts to accumulate over time and you start to have more of a rounded upper body posture. You start to have stiffness in, in your hips and stiffness in your ankles. And, and now you want to jump out of the desk and go play, a, a, you know, the, the company softball game at six o'clock. Well, you don't have that same mobility that you had when you were 14. And so the first thing you need to do is make sure you can move well. And so that's, that's the, the number one first thing. Now, most people think, oh, I'm going to just go stretch my hamstrings, right? Well, that's, right. It's, it's not that easy. It's about, it's about moving well. And that means all the right parts work at the right time. And if I had to check three big boxes that we lose as we get older is, is we lose mobility in our ankles. We lose mobility in our hips, uh, both front to back and side to side mm-hmm. in rotation. And then we move mobility in our upper body, meaning we are our upper back because we hunch over so much that we can't extend and we can't rotate side to side with our upper body. So those are the big three from a mobility standpoint. Then you need to make sure that you can have some fundamental control and stability. Can you balance on one leg? Can you decelerate? Meaning that one of the big reasons that people get hurt is they can't have the ability to decelerate. So when you hear about the, you know, guys who play a pickup soccer game and they blow out their ACL um, or the, the guy who's rounding second base and blows out his Achilles. Right. Those are, or even, even the, even the sore arm or the, the rotator cuff throwing a ball. Those are all deceleration issues. That's our ability to not control our limbs and not be able to, to put the brakes on. And that's where most of our injuries occur. So being able to do simple things like being able to control and, and, and slow down your body those are the next big things. And then just having some fundamental strength. Can you do and you have a mobile for 60 seconds? Can you do a push-up? Can you um, have basic strength measures are some of the things. And then last but not least is that you have to understand the speed of which you're, you're performing at. That like um, there's a big difference between, hey, I can go out and I can jog for, for a mile or three or five miles and then I can sprint. Your, the, the muscles you use sprinting are completely different than the muscles that you use um, uh, in a jog in, in not only which muscles you're using, but in the, the, the uh, manner in which you're recruiting them. And that's why so many guys blow out their hamstring trying to run to first base is because or you know, playing in a pickup flag football game is because you have to prepare yourself for that fast um, recruitment of those tissues. And if you don't, then that's how they, that's one of the reasons that you yank them. So those are the, the big things that if you came in, first thing I'm going to do is, is check those boxes. And are you including that in your preparation? And you can't, you know, sit at a desk all day and expect your body to, to move well. You can't um, not ever move in space and then have good control of your body and be able to decelerate. And then you have to move fast at some point to be able to move fast. Um, when you're in a competitive setting. So for some, for probably a lot of adults who want to get back to being, uh, you know, being physical or getting out there again, probably their first step, if I'm hearing you correctly, is to probably find somebody who can help them uh, get started and not just jump out there on their own, you know, be it a fitness yes. instructor or a trainer or Yes, 100%. And when you go see that person, they should have some sort of assessment evaluation process that you have to go through that they can figure out what it is that you need. Because, you know, I work with high school teams and high school teams, it's pretty simple. They all have a very somewhat similar lifestyle. They're all, um, you know, I can get a little bit more generic with them. 
Whereas once you get it out into the world, um, you know, you have, you know, you have one guy who's a, a plumber all day. The next one is um, sitting in a toll booth all day. And the next one is, is, you know, driving a car from, from one appointment to the next. And so they're very different demands on their body and, and how that's going to manifest itself when they challenge their body is going to be very different. And so I don't know what that's going to look like. So when someone calls me up, if you call me up today and say, Hey, what can I do to, to make myself get better? My first question, my first answer to you, JV is going to, I don't know. I know some generic things that are, that are more tendencies that you'll see, mm-hmm. but I really don't know. I don't know how life has manifested in yourself. It could be that you have that lack of mobility in those areas. It could be that you have lack of control in certain areas. And so I don't really know that. So whenever you go see a professional, they should have some sort of baseline testing that gauges kind of your current state of, of readiness to, to enter the, the world and challenge you, yourself physically. And when, when uh, people are going out to uh, seek that type of help, should they have uh, the trainers? Should they have a certain accreditations or? You know, you, there are obviously there's a bunch of certifications out there. There's some nationally, you know, recognized certifications such as um, NASM, National Academy of Sports Medicine, NSCA is the National Strength and Conditioning Association, uh, ACSM is the American College of Sports Medicine. Those are kind of some of the big three that are out there, but. Um, as someone that does fitness education as part of, uh, as part of my job and going out and teaching trainers and, uh, clinicians around the world, that it's a matter of how much they apply it, that are they just checking the box to get that certification or do they took that certification 10 years ago and they haven't, uh, applied it since, um, it is tough to tell. And so that's where you really got to see what their process is. And do they ask more questions than they give answers, you know, meaning, you have some people that's maybe the, the quote unquote, say kettlebell guy that's, that's in your town, or, you know, you have, you know, the, the woman that does Pilates and if you walk into their building and anything and everything is to follow what their program is, then that program's not about you. It's about them. You just parroting whatever they do. Right. Um, and that's, that's not going to be the, the right fit for most people, especially as they get into that 30, 40, 50 plus, because, it may work great and it may not. And, you know, unfortunately what's happened is because of our physical decline of a society and also because of a, a lot of factors that unfortunately fitness has, been, has become a risk factor where you have people getting hurt working out. And I've, I've dealt with a ton of people that I've been the place that they go to when they get hurt working out and they don't have, they can't get answers anyplace else. And so that's really the, even more of a challenge is that you have people that are, that are jumping in head first into um into fitness without having some sort of baseline or having some sort of foundation and that's where they they can get hurt and so i you know there's there's a course i teach to trainers and and clinicians on how to write programs on how to design programs and how to get clients started and we you know i talk about that we're at a crossroads right now between uh broken and fragile Fragile is the person that is that I said before that sits at a laptop all day at their dining room table and never moves other than to get the door dash. Um, and they walk in and they have low back pain, let's say and they walk into the physical therapist. But then you have the other person that uh, what I've seen in the last 25 years, almost 25 years of doing this is that you've had this incredible rise in extreme activities where you have 
people 40, 50, 60 years old doing triathlons, doing ultra marathons, doing uh, obstacle course races, doing CrossFit, doing all these things, which is very cool to see. But yet, they might have been sitting at the laptop all day, but now they want to go out and they want to run up a mountain and jump through fire and literally, you know, climb up walls and do that stuff. And they're not physically ready for it. And so they come in broken. Now, both those people go to the physical therapist with their low back pain. They're there for very different reasons. And so if you don't have a checks and balances of why they're there and what the environment is they need to go back to, and they get the same cookie cutter recipe of heat and stim and ice and rub your back and come three times a week, neither of them gets better. Right. No, I had a lower back issue and I was lucky to find a chiropractor who believed in um, not only adjustments, but also uh, re- rehabilitation and also strengthening. And I'll tell you, it's made a world of difference for me from being somewhat hunched over and wondering if this is how I was going to live the rest of my life to, you know, going through the process and uh, coming out on the other end a lot better and a lot, my back's a lot stronger. So, I, so I, yeah, I gotta, you're, li- you're living it, JB. And if you find someone like that, that's a gem. And so, you know, and so you're, sh- unfortunately that, that I always say that fork in the road can go a lot of different ways. Um, you're one of the success stories and the fact that you're doing the stuff you're doing now is, is awesome. And it's a testament to the human body and human will that if you treat it right, that, and you, you, you you have the right mind and body, you can do a lot of things for a long time. And there's, and, uh, there's a lot of people proving that, uh, like yourself. Uh, unfortunately, if you get to that fork in the road and you get the wrong person, um, let's say, and this story is, is, is tragic, but it's what happens in that. You go to the doctor with your back pain and they're going to say, okay, you know, their first option is, is to go for physical therapy or something like that. And you go and let's say you'd get into one of these mills where it's just heat and ultrasound and stim and, and do some low level exercises. They don't really look at why you're there, or how you got there, or what your history is, or what your goals are. And you feel a little better walking out. And then, you know, two days later, you're back again. And now you got to go three times a week and then your insurance runs out. Now you go back to the doctor and say, okay, well, now you're a failed, you're a failed physical therapy patient. So now I got only two options, which are surgery and medication. And the medication route is, is a scary, scary, right. scary place right now uh, where that is. And then surgery, you know, if you don't fix the root of the cause, the, the root cause of the problem, it's not going to, it's going to be palliative at best in most cases. And, and so the success stories are, are more, more far and few between in those cases if you're not addressing the, the root issues of it. And so you're luckily you found the right person at that, at that fork road, uh, fork in the road. But, uh, you know, unfortunately there's a lot of people who are not finding that. And, and so, like I said, that's where, you know, I'll get a lot of people who are on their last hope where they're coming to me because no one else has, has been able to help them because they just looked at them as a knee pain problem or a back pain problem. And they never looked at them as a holistic human being that maybe they had that issue because, they don't sleep right or maybe they they don't breathe properly or maybe because they their daily activities or maybe their exercise program is creating that issue so um it's it's uh it's an interesting you know development that i've seen over the last uh, couple years where you kind of have that that broken person and that fragile person can't get treated the same right no for me it was sleeping wrong i'd slept on my side for years and i should have been sleeping on my back 
and um, it just put my, you know, displaced my hips and and my lower back, and you know, you get up and then you start moving around. Because I'm a, a rather flexible person, I can still uh, put my head on my knees and touch my toes and do, uh, you know, I have a good, pretty good stretch at first base. At age 60, believe me, that's all I play is first base. But, um, yeah, and I try to get other guys, and I, and, and, and I don't even try to tell them to go see somebody. I just, just be active, you know, in the right ways before you try to come out to the field before you kill yourself. And um, they all just look at me like I'm crazy. So I, I don't know what more advice I can give them. Let me ask you this question, Eric. When you break it down, is there any different from a beginner athlete and one of your top flight professional or Olympic athletes? Uh, you're just getting generally more granular when you get to the, to the higher level. So, um, you know, again, going through checklists, like if, you, if I have my high school pitcher versus my professional pitcher, is that the high school pitcher, I got to check more of the big boxes of, you know, there's of, you know, do you have the proper mobility, stability control? Do you have the right, do you have enough of a baseline of strength? Can you generate force and, and power? Can you decelerate and control your body? Um, and on, a, on a, even on a more global scale is like, how are you taking your body, carry your body on the other 23 hours of the day? Do you, how, what does your sleep look like? What does your eating look like? And hydration and what is your, you know, how do you manage stressful situations and, and those sorts of things. Those are the bigger boxes we need to check. Whereas once we can get those big boxes checked, then we can get more granular where I may be looking specifically and how, how much can you internally rotate your hip on your back leg um, when I'm dealing at the higher level, once you've gotten those big things, but you know, it, it's really not so much, um, the pro versus the amateur as it is how far along they are on the, on the, what we call your training age in terms of your, your, um, body awareness and how many boxes have you checked? Have we checked the big boxes first, you know, sleep recovery, uh, nutrition, you know, basic movement, those things before we go into the more granular stuff of, you know, the, the specific hip rotation or specific deceleration, um, uh, planes of movement and those kind of things. So that's really the biggest difference is that you're just getting a little bit more granular as opposed to dealing with more fundamental type things. And someone like you with, uh, your years of experience, uh, you probably play a minor, uh, mental or sports psychologists also when you're working with athletes? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. I, sometimes I swear I should have a, my, I should have added my next piece of equipment or buy the leather couch. Um, but, um, you, you know, a lot of that, and especially it, 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 it's certainly with the individuals, it's about getting them to understand the habit forming and what habits they have that are, that are, um, progressing them and what habits they have that are holding them back and um, understanding that, Hey, I feel so much better. I bounced right back and my recovery was great when I did that, you know, cold shower, that breathing exercise that you told me and, and understanding how the impact of that, or 
them on the flip side, which they, let's say they're wearing a, a whoop strap or a, or a ring or something that measures their heart rate variability or their recovery. And now they see that, you know, wow, I had some really, I had some crappy food or I had a couple of drinks last night. And now all of a sudden I can see that I'm not, I'm not as physically capable today as I was the day before because of the choices that I made. So it's, it, on the individual level, it's much more habit building and awareness on the team level. It's really more culture building and getting people to, to understand that there's a level of selflessness that they need to have, that they, 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 if I'm working with a high school team to understand that, to talk to that kid, to say, Hey, listen, do you understand that if you don't get your grades, right, if you don't, if you don't, if you screw around in class and you get, you know, you get a detention or suspended and now you're not available for a Friday night game, you hurt the team. That's not just about being stupid for you. You're being stupid and hurting the team. Right. Uh, and getting them to understand that selflessness, getting them to understand about there's a uh, I, I, I constantly am, am referencing books here, but there's a, a great book um, by Trevor Moad. And Trevor Moad um, is someone who started in strength conditioning and then ended up transitioning into um, into uh, mental performance. And Trevor Moad was he worked with every team imaginable from the Mets to Alabama football to he was uh, um uh, Russell Wilson's primary, you know, trainer and, and coach. And uh, he has a great book called Getting to Neutral and getting athletes to understand that, like, you're never as good as when you're at your best. You're never as bad as when you're in your worst. And the, the goal is to get to neutral, is that let's not get too high. Let's not get too low. Um, and to, to, to stay at neutral is an incredibly impactful thing. And from a team level uh, and getting them to understand that and, um and getting into buy-in, and that's really how culture, winning cultures are, are built. Uh, do you all also may uh, give advice on uh, like uh, equipment? You know, like wearing proper shoes, or maybe a brace, or or um, proper clothing, any of that type stuff. Yeah, it depends on the sport, you know. Um, and, and I'll try to stay within my scope of, of practice, but it, it, you know, it make people aware that, you know, you're the, you're the, the runner. So if you're going out and putting the log in that many miles, when you're, when you go out and hit the road, JB, your number one piece of equipment is your footwear. Right. Right. So we need to make sure it's the right footwear for you that it's not too much cushion that you're running on a, mm-hmm. a bag of marshmallows, but it's not too little cushion because if you go ahead and read an article online about the, the you know uh, benefits of barefoot running and you say oh i'm gonna start out and i'm gonna go get some vibrams or some five finger shoes or something like that and i'm gonna start barefoot running tomorrow well you're gonna be in a world of hurt if you just think you're gonna just pick up where you left off with your mileage um and completely make that huge transition that you need to make a you need to make gradual changes with things like that so yeah awareness in terms of equipment is is important um, and then if we get further down the line, you know, where now things like, um, you know, from a golfer with, you know, club fitting is incredibly important. Right. Um, you know, and that's now transitioning to baseball where you're looking at where, you know, your bat should be custom fit to whatever your swing is and whatever your body type is. It, it, it only makes sense that you have, you shouldn't have the same um that that the person next to you is a completely different swing completely different body type so equipment in that regard is is important um and then also understanding little things like getting your ankles taped you know is that a good or is that a bad thing um it's a it's it's 
something that you need to understand that ankle taping is made for if JV you're in the game and we need you and you're you're better at 80% than our your backup is at 100%, then I need to keep you in the game. So if we can tape that thing together long enough that you can make it through the game, that's what you know athletic taping of your ankle was originally done for. Um, it's not made to be this this prophylactic thing that you do every single day, every single practice. Unfortunately, that's what it's become is kind of a cover your, your backside type of deal. But unfortunately, if you don't have enough freedom of movement in your foot and ankle, well, that movement's going to find its place somewhere. And now the, the next place is going to go is up the chain that's in your knee. Well, I'd much rather have you roll an ankle than blow out your knee. And so um, we have to, have to educate athletes on when you, if you are going to get your ankle taped, because some teams it's mandatory, it's part right. of the policy, that you need to make sure that you have freedom of movement in your ankle. So I always tell my athletes, you should be able to draw the alphabet with your foot as you're getting your ankle taped, because if not, that's going to be too restrictive. And now it's going to, that extra movement when you cut and change direction, accelerate or, or turn the base or whatever those things, it's going to find its way up the chain. And now the next thing you know, you're in, in the knee with a, a sore, jacked up knee. Yeah, I, I tried to explain people the the whole the key to running is footwear and they all look at me like i'm because they all think i'm trying to tell them to go out and buy you know 200 shoes and it's like no it's going to somebody who can fit you for the correct shoe and i'm not talking about shoe size i'm talking about the one that's made for your gait and your stride and you know because people always ask me why don't you have knee issues and it's like well because I was I was properly fitted for the right running shoe style, and I know what it is. I'm a neutral foot, and that's the type of shoe that I buy. You know, I don't uh, pronate or I don't um, supernate. I'm pretty neutral. And by the time I t- try to tell people that, they all look at me like I'm crazy. But, well, you know. yeah, that, that awareness is a big is the big part of it, right? And so, here's here's the thing. Let's say you were someone who um, benefited from some um, inserts in your sneakers. You know, you put some soft inserts that 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 mitigated some of the collapsing of your foot, which took some of the stress off your knee. And now you've had great success with it. Where now you're talking to somebody at a at a party or uh, at you know. Uh, the next social event and you say, yeah, my, my knee pain's gotten a lot better since I use these inserts. Well, this person who has knee pain says, oh, I should try the inserts, but that person has a super rigid foot. Right. And now they try the insert and now they get worse. And they're going to, and they're going to blame you for their knee pain <clears throat> because they think, you know, the inserts made them worse. Well, the inserts weren't proper for them. It's not the inserts fault is that you need to, like you said, you need to figure out what it is that you need. And the first step is the awareness of, you know, what is your archetype of, of how you move. Right. Yeah. Our, um, at the, when I've worked at the university of Minnesota, our, uh, athletic medicine people basically would test and look at the athletes and then tell me what shoe to put like our track people, what shoe to put them, them in, because let's face it. What do they mostly do? Run. <laughs> and you know, they got to have a shoe that's built for them, you know, and you know we were we're a Nike school, but within that frame, Nike has three top line shoes: one for people pronate, people supernate, and people who are neutral. And um, 
that's the number one thing I can't get people to understand that if they really do some research and go to a running store where there's probably somebody trained to look at that, they probably would, would not have the issues that they have. So that's probably one of the one things that you probably tell people is uh, do the research and uh, find the right people. And then the other thing is understand that that running shoe, you know, it's called a running shoe because it's made for running, John. Right. It's, 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 it's not made for deadlifting. It's not made for playing basketball. And so that's why they have different sneakers for different things. But when I go to the, you know, the gym and I see people weightlifting in running sneakers, well, that's not the right sneakers to lift in. And so if you're, if you're someone who's just a, a very casual exerciser and, and you want to get one sneaker to cover it all, then you need to get the right kind of cross training type of shoe that can cover a lot of ground. It's not going to be really great at any of them, but uh, it'll be good enough at all of them. Right. Um, but buying a running shoe um, and then trying to apply that into weightlifting is maybe one of the worst things you can do. Um, and so you need to make sure you have the right footwear for the right, you, you know, you wouldn't go play hockey in football cleats, no. right? Uh, because you need to have the right footwear for the for the activity that you're going to do, and so um, that's why it has to be relative. And, and there's a reason why they're called hockey cleats, and they're called um, figure skating. Uh, you know, ho- I'm sorry, hockey skates versus figure skating skates, or football cleats versus baseball cleats, because they're made for specific dynamics. Correct. As an old equipment manager, you are correct, sir. <laughs> um, in our last minutes here, uh, can you maybe talk about things that people should be on the lookout for, things they should be doing, um, maybe really think about how they start a uh, movement program or any of those type things? Okay, so um, realize that you know whatever your movement program you jump into, it's only going to be a fraction of your day. And so um, exercise is just basically planting seeds. And what I mean by that is um, you, don't, you don't necessarily grow or change while you're exercising. What exercise does is it basically challenges your, your system, uh, your physiological system. And then afterwards, your body says, oh, oh, my gosh, I don't know what you just did. But if you're going to keep doing that. Uh, I'm going to have to adapt and change accordingly. And so that's every cell in our body has one job and that's to survive another day. And so if it was cold in the room, you'd shiver to warm up. If it was hot, you'd sweat to cool down. Well, if you lift heavy things, your body says, I'm going to keep doing that stuff. I'm going to have to get a little stronger. I'm going to have to drive some more, you know, neural pathways to those muscles. I may have to grow, you know, more, uh, grow stronger and, 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 and more muscle tissue. Um, and so it's going to have a specific, you know, it's in science it's called the said principle, specific adaptation to impose demand. And so because of that, realize that that is not happening while you're lifting the weight, while you're, you know, running the sprint. It's happening the other 23 hours a day. So if the, if the um, exercise is planting the seeds, it's only as good as the soil that you're planting it in. So you can have the greatest program in the world. I can design a, a, an incredibly in-depth program for you. But if you spend the rest of the day super stressed out, you don't get any sleep and your nutrition and hydration stinks, then your, your program is going to go nowhere. It's going to go nowhere fast because you don't, you don't give it the soil, the environment for it to grow and, and do what it needs to do. And so um, the, the big things that you need to look at is, is nutrition. 
Um, now that could go down. We could go down a whole other rabbit hole. We spent another couple hours on that. But 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 eat real food, right? right. If, it, if it wasn't here, if it wasn't here a thousand years ago, it's probably not good for you. If there's a cartoon on the box, it's probably garbage, right? That's right. some basic rules to go by. <laughs> drink 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 the majority of your fluids from water, plain old water. Um, uh, try to limit things like uh, sugar and processed foods. Real basic, right? If you could do that, mm-hmm. then sleep. Sleep is incredibly impactful and important and affects every single function that we do. Sleep is the next big box that we look at. And then the third thing, believe it or not, is breathing and how you breathe. Do you breathe through your nose versus through your mouth? And so that can make a huge impact on your performance. Um, And so being conscious of your breath and even spending some time doing conscious breathing, because breathing is a very cool thing. Mm -hmm. And that is the one hack that we can get into our autonomic nervous system. And that's the system that regulates our blood pressure, our our, our heart rate, all those things. And and doing some conscious breathing and and great exercise programs will incorporate that into the program. But even just doing a couple minutes of mindfulness and deep breathing where you exaggerate your exhales, breathing in through your nose is going to be extremely impactful. And I know this isn't, you know, the, the magic you know, 10 exercises, the better abs that most exercise professionals are handing out. But right. these are the big, these are the big things that if you don't get these things, those, those exercises aren't going to matter. And then from there, make sure you can move well, make sure you can do the basic things. If you can touch your toes and squat and lunge and reach back and you can, uh, you know, reach behind your body, you know, both over the top and behind your back with your shoulders, you can do those fundamental things. Um, then great. Then go out and challenge that and start to build some strength um, with some basic strength training stuff. Um, and then make sure that we also take care of challenging you physiologically um, from a um, cardiovascular standpoint where we should do as much as we can work at a sub-maximal level, whether it's, and, and people don't give enough credit to something as simple as going for a walk, right. um, and, you know, it could be incredibly impactful. Um, and doing that as many times a week as we can, three to four times a week. Um, and then, you know, once or twice a week, try to work to a pace where you're just above a conversational pace where you would have a trouble holding a steady conversation and being able to do that for, for a little while. And then if you can get to the point where structurally you can handle it, um, you can, and you can get to once a week where you can max out your heart rate, like run, like your pants are on fire. Um, whether that's on a Peloton bike or whether that's actually, you know, running on a track or, um, with a jump rope. That's that's kind of the, the real brief two minute recipe for for optimal health and performance that I can give you. Yeah, I I've been lucky. I you know, um, I've had jobs where I would do a lot of walking. The job I have now, I walk about ten thousand steps a day. Just uh, uh, walking, you know, I have an uh, app on my phone and the phone's on my hip at all times. So um, I do. Some somewhere between ten and twelve thousand steps a day, and um, lucky enough that you know I can cook decent food myself. So <laughs> I'm a bachelor, so I I don't live at fast food restaurants and whatnot. I cook my own food, and you know I just notice that I just feel better when I do those things, and how much I don't feel when. When I do grab fast food or, you know, if I take a week off and I don't run, it's like, boy, I really miss my run, you know. And it, that becomes habit-forming that way. 
I think that's what you were trying to tell us at the beginning. Am I correct? Yeah. And unfortunately, so many people don't know what it feels like to feel good. So they just assume that you're supposed to feel like crap. Um, you have it right. And that when it's when it's more normal to feel good and and then feel really crappy when you when you go off your plan as, is much more uh, where you want to strive for as opposed to I feel like crap all the time. And every once in a while I can get, you know, this palliative feeling of, of, of feeling good, but it's only when, you know, all the stars align and I get a massage or I get, you know, I get, I get, or, or one of these things that you, you've built up no level of resiliency at all. And the more you keep those habits, the more resilient you are and the more you can get away with the bad meal here and there or skipping a workout here and there is that, that everything is built on a, on a scale of, it's not a, you know, nobody who's ever achieved anything great, it, you know, physically has ever said, oh, it was that one workout I did back in 2017 that really got me here. It was the accumulation of days and months and in, in days and weeks and months and years that get them to there. And that's what's gotten you to where you are now is that you you, you build up the physical resiliency and the, the metabolic flexibility that, you know, what if the one day I stop and I grab some some food that's not great for me, I can live through it. Right. Um, and I also realize how crappy I feel when I do have that. Um, most people don't have that. They don't have that flexibility. They don't have that resiliency. They don't have that margin of error and they don't even know what it feels like to feel, to feel good. They just assume you're supposed to feel like crap. Yeah. I mean, I feel like crap, you know, I give myself one soda a month and it's like, and after I drink it the next day, I go, why did I drink that? (laughs) because <laughs> it it i do feel just i feel lethargic and i feel you know tired and all different time you know types of things um and i also remember when i was first when i first started to get back into running and just trying to do that first full mile and it and it's you know you're probably not going to do it i didn't do it you know i ran for probably a quarter of a mile and then walked and then started running again and then walked and start, you know, I never stopped moving, but it was never a complete run. And then all of a sudden I hit a mile. And then when I hit a mile, it was like, Ooh, I can do two miles. And it was like, you know, you, 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 your gains are more at the more you, for me, it was the more that I did it, the, the bigger the gains got which probably is common sense, but for a lot of people, it just doesn't sink in. No, it's, that's the most fundamental principle of, of exercise. It's just progressive overload. And I tell people to, to, for this to work, we need to be two things. You need to be successful. You need to be challenged. So if you've never run before and you say, I'm going to, you know, no pain, no gain, I'm going to run five miles today. You may be able to struggle through that five miles. You'll be, very challenged, but you won't be very successful because you'll be on Advil for the rest of the week, right? Whereas right. if you said, I'm going to, I'm going to, like you did, I'm going to run a quarter mile. I was challenged, but I was also successful that I was able to, to go back and do it again the next day. And it's no different than if I were to lift weights that if you could, you know, for easy math, if you could bench press a hundred pounds for five repetitions and, and that's the goal. And now all of a sudden you put 200 pounds on, you'll be really challenged. You won't be very successful. But if you only put 50 pounds on, you'll be super successful, but you won't be really challenged. And if you don't get challenged, you don't change. And so that sweet spot is just above that, just what we call the edge of your ability. And so 
finding that sweet spot where you can challenge yourself just enough where you're still successful and then you come back a little bit better the next day um that's how, that's how it's supposed to work that's the that's the basic science of it but the whole no pain no gain beat yourself into the ground you know uh no days off mentality is is kind of it's cool for the internet, but it's not reality. That's not how exercise <laughs> science works. Well, and you know, those are the type of people who give up because it's it wasn't enjoyable. At, at no at no point was it enjoyable, you know. And did they feel successful? So it was like, why am I doing this? Whereas when I, you know, even though I wasn't hitting the the goal I wanted. I still felt good about, hey, I got a little bit farther this time, or I got a little bit faster this time. And there was always something that, you know, I equate it to the old saying about golf. You always hit the one shot that brings you back to the the course the next time. That's the golf gods. That's what they do. Right. They say, you know what, if I could just do that a few more times, (laughs) I'd be really good. Well, Eric, I really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, if somebody wanted to reach out to you and ask you some questions or maybe get some uh, information, how could they do that? Uh, the easiest way is this, is go to my website, which is just my name, Eric Degatti, E-R-I-C-D-A-G-A-T-I. And on the homepage, since I do a, a bunch of things like this, JB, uh, and I teach around the world, I created a, a thing called Ask Eric. And basically, it's just a question box where you can ask me a question. It'll go directly into my email, and I'll get back to you within a day or two uh, with, a, with either an answer or a resource where you can get the answer. And uh, that's the easiest way. And you also have all my social media and all this stuff on there as well. Oh, cool. One, one-stop shopping, which always helps us, uh, <laughs> us low people. Um, like I said, I really enjoyed that conversation. Um, I guess I really enjoyed it because it really reaffirmed a lot of stuff that I've done in the past that I keep doing. It, you know, makes, makes it feel like I'm doing the right stuff. So if there's people like me out there, hopefully they'll feel better about themselves too. Uh, Keep on doing it, man. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Eric. And I really appreciate it. This is... Thank you. Sure. This has been Eric Degatti, uh, fitness instructor, fitness trainer. Fit, uh, forget it. Fitness guru. <laughs> <laughs> Here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast. Our summers are so short in Minnesota, it can be easy to forget about important safety measures. And when extreme heat is involved, safety is even more critical. Here are a few things to remember to keep you and your loved ones, including your pets, safe and comfortable. One, remember to not leave your pets and kids in your vehicle. Two, always stay hydrated in hot weather. Three, avoid exercise during the hottest times of the day. Four, stay in air conditioning as much as possible. Five, when traveling, stay sky aware. Check the forecast and prepare for unsafe driving conditions, thunderstorms, and tornadoes. High temperatures kill hundreds of people every year, but most heat-related deaths and illnesses are preventable. If we all slow down, take some time, check on our loved ones, and enjoy the beautiful season. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. I hope you're never injured in a collision, but if you are, don't sign anything until you've talked to us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Bradshaw and Bryant.
And as we wrap up today's episode, I'd again like to thank Eric Degatti. Um, and I will post his information on this, uh, the page for this uh, episode and also for making me feel like I'm doing the right things at my age of 59 and almost 60 in two weeks. And also, um, just maybe giving everybody the little push they might need to just get start moving again. We have become a, a, a society that sits and watch and streams and plays video games and whatnot and don't do the thing that our parents used to scream at us, which is go outside and play. So I'm lucky that <laughs> I took my parents' advice and I kept playing, so... Uh, it's been it's been fun getting deeper into interviewing different people from different walks of life, and hopefully my audience is starting to enjoy this also. Like as usual, you can find me on Podbean, uh, my Facebook page, and on Apple Podcasts. It's the uh, JB's Low Tech Podcast. Until next time. Take care of yourself and be good. J.B. is my name and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game. Right on. Negro, black, African-American, black, black, black. Django. J.B. Damn, Dolomite. Great God in heaven, you know J.B. Our great Negro sex machine.